0: Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, This is the Kick Shrink Podcast, and this is your host, Dr. Salman Aziz Mirza. Um, Finally figuring out how to do like a proper introduction instead of just a, hey, welcome to the show. Um, But we have a great guest, uh, one of my favorite guests that we've had on the show so far, Dr. Kristen Casey, I'll give her introduction and then we'll kind of jump on into the episode. Dr. Kristen Casey is a clinical psychologist, published author, and content creator. She's the founder and owner of A private Practice and Consultation Company. Prior to her psychology career, she was an EMT for five years. Her clinical training focused on health psychology, which sparked her interest in sleep, anxiety, and dedication to utilizing modalities that are rooted in science and research. Dr. Casey is most known on social media for providing mental health and wellness content about insomnia, anxiety, and gender sexuality concerns. Uh, This was a great episode. We talked about sleep psychology and a lot of fun stuff uh, with one of my favorite people's on the internet. So enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a great guest on the show today. I have Dr. Uh, Kristen Casey on our show. I'm very, 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 very excited to have her on. Uh, She's one of my favorite peoples on the social media because we have like a similar wavelength of biting sarcasm kind of stuff so so true um so I'll let her introduce herself with like bio and background and all that stuff and then we'll kind of jump on in
1: yeah I thank you so much for having me on yeah Yeah, big big fan um and yes when we're on when we're on social media in the wild together it's always so fun but um I'm Dr. Kristen Casey I'm a licensed clinical psychologist Um, I'm also a published author, and I'm a social media content creator for mental health stuff. So basically, a lot of my clinical interests include sleep, anxiety, um, and gender and sexuality. And um, I got on social media in 2020 during the pandemic because I was bored, and uh, it just started from there. So um, that's kind of how I got here.
0: Yeah, I think we all kind of started like during the pandemic because yeah. we were bored and we're like, we need to connect with people and we need to like make some kind of friends because everybody's telling us to stay home and do nothing, right? 100%.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then it was, it was, it was cool because like a lot of people, I was talking with like uh, Dr. Jesse Gold about this, like one of my first episodes was like, this was, you know, people are like, make fun of, it. they're like, oh, you have like Twitter friends and social media friends. And it's like, well, no, those, connections are real like those yeah the the connections you make they turn into like you know partnerships right like I think yeah. we, were, we were just talking about it before like you guys started a podcast and that's there and this has started and like even with this whole podcasting thing that i'm doing i was like i joke about it i was like it's just really a a, a selfish way for me to talk to people that I, <laughs> I like right
1: yeah yeah and then other people get to learn then, like, you know just by something. listening to conversations
0: yeah yeah all right awesome cool all right well first question Right, we all. I always kind of start off with like a surprise question to throw out there. For it. Who is your favorite UFC fighter?
1: <laughs> I know you and I both watch UFC. So I know. To be honest with you. Yeah. I I want to have a favorite. Yeah. But I don't really have one. I'm ah. gonna be real. I'm gonna be real with you. So and and I'm not just using that as a cop out. So <laughs> I do watch UFC.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I feel like every fight that I watch I tend to just pick a favorite within that match and then I f- literally I forget I'm like what what's the next match? what's the next yeah. match? But Jones yeah. Bones was like you know <laughs> I, I I he's gonna stay in my heart but I I'm undecided. what about yeah. you?
0: I'm I'm a big fan of uh, a Usman, Uh yeah, cause I gotta one. like, yeah, I gotta represent like you know the the Muslim Brotherhood out absolutely. there, yeah, absolutely, yeah, because it's, it's it's so like yeah. i you know when I was younger, Muslim athletes like weren't a thing, right? It was like Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah. We got our our couple of years when Jordan was retired of like mm-hmm. Hakeem Olajuwon being like at the top of the NBA, yeah. and then before that was like Muhammad Ali, and then that was it. And
1: that's <laughs> it. You're right, actually. There's not much representation. Um, yeah.
0: So it was That's really cool. I mean, because it's just funny because like UFC is always seen as like this uh Donald Trump red, <laughs> red supporter maga <laughs> sport. And it was like yes. for we had that the that little period of time where it was like Francis Nagano was a champ and with yes. Al Israela Sanya was a champ and Kamaru mm-hmm. Usman were the champ. So we had like, you know, people representing out there and we had all these like again the Brazilian and the Mexican fighters as champions and it was like it's a very multicultural sport and really international and yeah.
1: It really is. And every time I watch Khabib, it, I feel like, yeah. oh, Khabib, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's so many different cultures represented. And I do think that there might be preconceived notions, like you said, about like, oh, it's just MAGA and all that. But when you really think about the culture of UFC, too, they, they include a lot of people, a lot of people. Oh, yeah.
0: I think that's like, you know, I was trying to get my, my young kids to like get into it in regards mm-hmm. to more so like, participating in it because yes. you know I, I i raise i have three three daughters now and it's like you know oh my the, gosh you got your hands full. i know <laughs> and i'm like you know this it's one of those things like as a child psychiatrist i'm like you know these girls need to know how to like handle them unfortunately right like right yeah like, they have to know how to like take care of themselves to an extent or be able to defend themselves i'm just like i want you guys to like learn how this stuff if nothing else just for like self-defense because oh, yeah. we see all this stuff all the time And i'm like oh my god i don't want to have kids in this world and yeah.
1: It's scary. It's scary. I, I think, you know, I'm not a parent, but yeah. I feel like being a parent is such a vulnerable experience. Yeah. It's almost like you're taking a piece of your heart out and hoping the world treats them with kindness, you know, it's yeah. really tough.
0: And it's weird because I get like that, that terrible view. Cause again, most of my work is with, with teens and adolescents. And of mm-hmm. course the teens and adolescents are seeing who are either like, you know, depressed, suicidal, anxious, traumatized, oh, yeah. like they've gone through bad stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God.
1: There it is. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's such an epidemic.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, but we'll get (laughs) that uplifting note of how how our UFC fandom kind of began. But um, tell us about, so I, I brought you on here because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because I've done an episode before on sleep medicine mm-hmm. um, with one of my old med school buddies, and, you know, he's he's a good friend of mine, and I love to sleep. My wife loves to sleep, mm-hmm. and, you know, we have our four kids, and our sleep is destroyed, and our lives are destro- <laughs> destroyed, and, you know, I'm, I'm just coming off. Ramadan which yeah. of course like you know especially with the longer days and now we're kind of like we're in that summerish springish mm-hmm. kind of range of it like sleep gets destroyed and like in those last you know yeah. 10 days or so like my body was like sh- literally like shutting down yeah. Um, like I was having like you know not to get too graphic but just terrible mm-hmm. like GI stuff no, it's like true. Yeah, yeah my like, my body shut down like I lost like 10 pounds overnight just like I couldn't function it was like oh terrible right mentally I was all over the place so I was like we need to like i think that we don't put enough emphasis on what sleep is right so true and the yeah. impact that it has on us and I, well, I was like i came across your stuff and i know you'd just written the book so i was like we got to we got to connect about this part of stuff too so oh, yeah
1: what? it's you know what's so yeah oh,
0: oh i was just, <laughs> I was like what what is, what is sleep psychology
1: yeah it's you know it's so interesting every time people ask me about sleep it's just such a broad topic you know, mm-hmm. and it sleep is everything in my mind. Uh, sleep is the cornerstone of our mental health or physical well-being. You know, if you're not getting sleep, just like you said, during Ramadan, I mean, it's just really difficult to feel like you could function, you know. And sometimes when we think about sleep, we primarily think about what can I take to make me go to sleep, like sleep medications. And I'm a big, big, big fan of um, sleep medicine doctors um, because yeah. they do great work. And I also think when we collaborate together, we also could even do better work. So when I think about sleep psychology, I think about what behaviors are you engaging in that actually help or harm your sleep? And really the cornerstone of it is, in my mind, stress and anxiety. Um, how do you manage your stress? How do you manage life transitions? How do you manage being out of control in certain areas of life? And how do you get to a point where you can actually sleep, despite these things happening in real time?
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's the old adage, right? It's like you know, we spend a third of our lives—we're supposed to spend a third of our lives in sleep, something like yeah. that—and we don't, enough, put the energy into it or put yeah. the kind of the thought into it. And there's so much of my work, right, as as a psychiatrist, which is around around sleep and sleep yeah. dysfunction, and and a lot of times I was like, I. You know, I know, I know from our training. I was like, people are like, "Oh, you just," I'm sure you just throw medicines at them. And I was like, "No, I, I don't. I don't yeah. want to throw medicine at them because I know that I'm not supposed to throw medicine at them, right? Yeah. Unless, of course, there's some some stuff you need to. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, like you don't, you don't want to. A lot of it comes down to like yeah. you're saying, this the anxiety and the stress and stuff. So, what? That's tough. Yeah. What what drew you to the field of it as a whole? So aside from kind of like what you're saying before.
1: Yeah. To be honest, it was, it was, sounds like this is like my whole life, but by accident. So I was uh, doing my clinical internship at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and Mm -hmm. I love working with veterans. I was working with trauma treatment. I was in primary care. It was like so fun. And one of my supervisors was really interested in sleep. She was like the sleep guru. Um, And she would do all these cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia groups. And in my mind, I was never a good sleeper. I didn't know the first thing about sleep. I was just taking Z-Quil to go to sleep and I, Like I had no idea about what yeah. to do about sleep. Um, and she's like, hey, I need you to run the sleep group. It's part of your clinical training. And I said, I'd rather choose something else. And she said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And she made me run the sleep group. So the two, first two weeks I was really open with the veterans and I was like, I'm learning with you. Like, you know, as I'm in supervision and all that stuff and, and you know what it's like being under supervision, you're learning, yeah. gaining hours. And I was like, let me do this treatment with them like, let me just try it. Um, And I felt so much better. I was sleeping at night. I felt so much better. Um, Obviously, depending on, you know, your clinical presentation, if you have PTSD and stuff, it might take a little longer, but it started there. And I just fell in love. Like, I just fell in love with the fact that people were getting better. They were getting better sleep. They were spending more time with their partners, you see them light up. I mean, it was just such a beautiful journey. And, um, since then I've just always had an interest in helping people notably with insomnia. There's over 70 sleep disorders. So that's kind of where it started.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. You talked about like CBTI cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, you know, when, when I'll kind of like reveal like a little secret ish kind of thing almost. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so when chat like first started out, right. I was like, you know, and I was, I was, I think I had just kind of come across it and I was like, let me play with this thing. Right. Yeah. And really see what the, what the possibilities of it are. Um, I decided to like write a book, a basically manualized like CBTI manual. Right. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. First of all, I was like, AI can do this for yeah. me. Right. I can, it can like write this thing out. And so I'm of course, it's not just a copy paste job, right? You you go through it and you have to like fix stuff and edit things and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was like, this is the first time like I really came across like what CBT I is as well. Mm-hmm. But I was like, there's so much of the stuff, which is like, we know the things, right? We know so much of the CBT insomnia techniques and skills that you're supposed to do, but we just don't do them.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you described it beautifully. I mean, I think people, we're all pretty smart humans, you know, we know what we have to do. I think we're usually in this controversy of, I know what I need to do for my health and well being. But a lot of people don't see the priority in sleep. And I think it just is based on sleep history. Uh, The first theories about sleep um, included that sleep was like a passive process that nothing really happened. Um, I think it kind of stems from that.
0: Yeah. Expand on that like a little bit more if you could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So really, really, really early on, I mean, we're still learning so much about mm-hmm. sleep in the brain, as you know, right? So yeah. when we think about sleep and the theories, a lot of people, um, they thought that people would just go to sleep for eight hours and wake yeah. up and nothing was happening during this time. Um, and then as we were learning more about like brain waves and all these scans and stuff, we actually saw like electrical activity and like all these things happening overnight And people started, well, not people, researchers started to, sorry, I don't want to undermine them. Uh, They're doing great work. But researchers started to realize, like, there's so much going on during sleep, like memory consolidation, temperature regulation, like all these homeostatic properties that happen. And um, the more research that we have, the more knowledge we have. But I still think that people have these preconceived notions of, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead or I don't need a lot of sleep or I could catch up on sleep. And none of those are true. Um, They're just myths. And I think we want to lean into those because we're hustle culture in America, you know, yeah. um, speaking just for Americans here, we don't want to sleep because we want to be productive. So
0: yeah, it's like, it's like Nas said, I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death, right? <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's the whole thing. What you said there was over 70 sleep disorders. What's the most common ones that you kind of come across and see? And I think you said insomnia, but mm-hmm. yeah, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, in my clinical practice, and just for reference for listeners, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I don't prescribe meds. Um, I work with people on behavioral changes and processing emotions and stuff like that. Um, But when we think about evidence-based treatments, I do cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, I also work with people with CPAP adherence, so people who have sleep apnea and they're struggling to keep the CPAP on. Um, Those are the two major ones. Sometimes we have circadian rhythm disorders, advanced phase sleep syndrome, things like that, where people's desired bed window isn't in line with their circadian rhythm, which is their sleep wake cycle. And we kind of do some behavioral changes to get them to a place where they feel comfortable falling asleep and staying asleep during certain times.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about more about that, like matching because I know this is one of the big things that comes up is is matching this the circadian rhythm to our sleep wake cycles. Right. Because people are like, well I can't go to sleep at this time and people are like, Mm -hmm. Well why don't you just go to sleep at this time? Let's just lay in bed at (laughs) this time. And it's one of those like, you know yeah, expand on that a little bit more. What talking yeah, about? Yeah,
1: no, it's it's a great conversation, and everybody is so different with this. Mm-hmm. So there are, you've heard of like night owls and yeah. like morning people. So some people just have a natural inclination and tendency to maybe be on one end of the spectrum or not. And when we think about the nine to five, that's technically you know um, from society, right? It's not because yep. of our bodies yep. normally operate that way. So for some people, they. Fall asleep late and wake up late and they just feel great. You know, for some people that fall asleep at 1 a.m. and wake up, you know, at nine or 10, they just feel on fire. They're like, my this is where my body is. And for some people, it's the opposite. So usually when we're changing that, it's because of work obligations or social obligations or relationship obligations. And yeah. we do a lot of talking and conversation and processing around. You might have to give up certain things when it comes to sleep. You might have to give up going out with your friends or actually working a traditional job if you have the privilege and opportunity to do so. If not, we always try to help people get back there. But it could be genetic. It could be mental. It could be societal expectations. It could be so many different things. Um, And usually when we look at it, I look at it from a very individualized circumstance, just like you do with your clients of like, this client might have insomnia, but what does it mean for them in the grand scheme of things? You know, it's not just their inability to fall asleep.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's that aspect where like, you know, again, everything is individualized and having to Mm -hmm. kind of match those things up. And like, I, you know, I was joking before, like I, I know I'm typically someone who's like a later riser. I I tend Mm -hmm. to stay up a little bit later. Like I remember like a period of time, like during my fellowship, like in the last six months or so of my fellowship, I was going to like try to get up in the morning. I was inspired by the Rock's Instagram posts of like going to the gym at like 4 a.m. in the morning and then starting the day off like that. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this. And I did it for like three days, right? Because Mm -hmm. I woke up in the morning and I went to the gym and I worked out and I felt great and it was fantastic. And then it was 10 AM.
1: And, and, <laughs> and then I was done. I was during, done during yeah. fellowship, the most demanding time. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: was like seeing patients. And I was like, I cannot function right now. Yeah. I was like, I've already been awake for six hours. Like, no, I'm done. It's no. wild. Yeah. yeah. Cause
1: our body's sleep drive. I mean, when we wake up in the morning, our sleep drive is really high because hopefully we have slept. Um, yeah. and then usually around six or seven hours later, we start to feel it. Um, yeah. it's hard.
0: Yeah. So like, again, trying to, you know, when we're trying to like match up people and, you know, mating wise and all that stuff, like you want to ideally have some kind of match with what your sleep-wake-up schedules are and then work-wise too, right? Kind of like what you're saying, because I see this a lot of times with with college kids who struggle when they're like, I can't, you know, function. I'm not doing well because I'm staying up later and I'm Mm -hmm. getting up later. And then they, you know, they build their schedule around it and then they do better. They thrive, right?
1: It's so true. And I think a lot of young people now, um, This isn't a clinical term by any means, but um, revenge, bedtime, procrastination, right? They have been in school all day, which is so demanding. Um, I don't know how we used to do it. I mean, even high school is torture. Um, And then you get out and you just want to have fun. (laughs) Yeah. And then you're up until 2 a.m. And then you have to wake up at six. It's hard.
0: Yeah, it was, and again, I, I say that from like even experience last night, like I was taking care of the kids and then mm-hmm. I was up till one or something in the morning taking, making sure that my, the newest one had her milk and stuff. Cause I was like, you know, and then I had to watch the basketball game too. I had to watch the Warriors destroy the Lakers. So yeah. of course, you know, that was what I needed to do. And then I, I had to play, seen. I had to play my, my game on my phone at night. So the next thing I know it was like two in the morning, right?
1: Yeah. It's hard. And I think for parents, it's even harder because you have such limited opportunities for solo time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we all need that. We all need that solo time. So what, how does this then, so I know we were talking before, like how anxiety, depression, impact sleep, how does it do sleep impact anxiety, depression, and other mental health stuff?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. So when we have depression, anxiety, and, um, I'll just look at anxiety for now. When yeah. we have anxiety, we have this persistent worry and anticipation of future events, or you might not be able to stop thinking about certain things. And it's it becomes really difficult to control that worry. And when you have difficulty controlling that worry, your brain is still firing its neurons, doing all the things. Um, and it's not really concerned about sleep at yeah. all, because it's concerned about survival. Your brain is there to keep you safe, not to keep you happy. So if... You're really trying to think about all the things and all the embarrassing moments from 10 years ago that might not make a difference right now as you're laying in bed, Um, your brain is going to stay up. And we call that an insomnia treatment. We call it hyperarousal, just the inability to turn off your brain. And I notice a lot of um, people, especially notably younger people now, really struggle with that um, because they don't have time throughout the day to allow their brains to process. So if you do have anxiety, it might impact sleep. It doesn't always impact everybody's sleep. Um, With depression, it's Usually one or the other for people, they're either sleeping too much for them or not enough. And the not enough sleeping, it could be because of thoughts, emotions, general um, angst, and things like that. But um, when people come to me for insomnia treatment, I always ask them, what other things are you dealing with? Take insomnia out of it. What's your life like? You know, what are your issues? And um, a lot of the times when we focus on anxiety and depression, sleep usually remits over time, like insomnia. So...
0: Yeah, my buddy... Who I talked to the sleep medicine mm-hmm. doctor again. Like he was saying that same kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. he, would, he would always kind of like curbside each other and be like, "Hey, what do I do in this situation?" Yeah. And he's like, "I'm prescribing like antidepressants. I'm prescribing all this stuff mm-hmm. that like I wasn't thinking I was going to have to." And I'm I'm talking to my patients about like their life stuff. And he you know so he'd help, he's like, "I'd messaged, He'd message me. He's like, "Man, I can't see it." You know, this the the common kind of thing when people are in the mental health field. It's like, and other people are like, "Oh, I can't see how you do this all day, right?" I can't see how you, people can come to you and tell you their problems all day. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah that's that's kind of the whole point yeah that's what we do
1: (laughs) that's our thing yeah it's so true and everybody's so unique and i i I don't know i almost feel like i'm a different psychologist with every Mm -hmm. client because every client has different not only presenting concerns you have to think about culture the intersectionality between all these different things socioeconomic status race all this and um stressors i think in my opinion are the biggest biggest culprit for insomnia
0: yeah how people
1: manage and deal with stress
0: yeah what are some things that, so benefits and risks, I guess, of too little sleep, too much sleep, mm-hmm. or some things that kind of happen with that?
1: Yeah, it of course, depends on the person. But if you're sleeping too much, then sometimes there could be an underlying medical concern that I always say, hey, if you're sleeping too much, please get labs done just mm-hmm. to see because I'm not MD or DO by any means. Um, So I always say, Hey, get some labs done. Let's make sure it's nothing else hormonal or anything like that. Um, But when people are sleeping too much, um, normally the concern is that they aren't able to make the obligations that they've already previously said, Hey, I'll be there, or I could work on this day or something like that. And usually um, they struggle with, with those things. If you're not sleeping enough, then normally when you are attending these events, you are just absolutely exhausted and you're just operating on empty. And it's really hard to just function, process, like everything, attention. Um, if you've ever missed a night of sleep, um, you've been on fellowship in grad school, like just yeah. pulling all-nighters, trying to get assignments done and all that stuff. The next day, you're just shot. You know, yeah. um, you might be able to function, but you're not optimal by any means. And the risks of sleeping less, in my opinion, are more than sleeping more, um, mm-hmm. and uh, unless there's an underlying medical concern. Because yeah. when we think about short sleep, which is anything under six hours for a chronic period of time, we notice, um, you know, long-term health issues, cardiovascular issues, um, issues with physical functioning, things like that, because you can't really catch up on sleep. Your body needs that optimal range depending on your age each day to do what it needs to do overnight.
0: Yeah. I always kind of say like with my patients, when they try to shortchange sleep is like sleep is resting and rest is short for restoration. And it's like our body needs to restore itself. And if we don't allow that to happen, then the body falls apart. It's so true. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's so true. I mean, when you're sleep deprived, I mean, even if we think about sleep deprivation for like 24, 48, 72 hours, I mean, people start to hallucinate. I mean, it's really scary.
0: People die, right? I think I was listening. Yeah, I was listening to some other podcasts, I think, um... Kavehota is the, the house of pod. Mm-hmm. And he did that recently. And again, that was Mike, what Michael Jackson essentially died of. Right.
1: Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think it was just cause he was chronically not, he was getting propofol to go to sleep and propofol mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, it, it puts you to sleep, but it doesn't put you to like proper sleep. It doesn't get you into that. Right. Um, yeah. restorative stages of sleep. So your body's not repairing itself. That's um, so you're, you're kind of, you're knocked out, but you're not like restoring. And that's what essentially killed him over time was, was that yes. whole thing.
1: It's so sad. Yeah, because yeah. I think we we think, and I, again, medications are super useful and mm-hmm. helpful. Um, and when we're thinking about chronic insomnia, like insomnia, that's over three months, at least three times a week, you're really, really struggling to fall asleep, stay asleep, or you're waking up really dissatisfied with your sleep. At that point, medications could be a good help and we need behavioral changes. Because at one point, I always tell my clients like, what if you lose your job and you can't yeah. afford the medication, now what? You know, I mean, you obviously have bigger problems, but we want to be able to rely on ourselves too.
0: Yeah, yeah. What is the impact of? I know we referenced it a little bit earlier, but like mm-hmm. the modern world, the go-go-go culture of nonstop, American culture of doing everything. Oh my gosh! I
1: feel like that's <laughs> the biggest culprit. It's all the, capitalism, right? It's, it's all, all capitalism. It's all it capitalism. Really, it really, really is because I think. um And this is just my personal opinion, it's not based on any research, so I just like to preface that. But I think when we're really trying to fit into the societal norm, um, some people are working two jobs, they have kids, they have childcare, they're juggling multiple roles, you know, and just to make ends meet. So if you think about just poverty levels and just all those things, being able to work and actually afford your house Mm -hmm. and afford to live it's a big price. Um, if just say you don't have the opportunities. So I do think that people are struggling to even just make ends meet. And in that way it impacts sleep and it's because of our societal norms. Um, and that's really hard.
0: It's really hard. I don't disagree with it. Um, right. Like I know I have like my main job and I have my private practice gig and then, you know, Mm we're making enough money and stuff. But like, mm-hmm. there are people who are who are not right out there on the opposite right. spectrum, um, where like, they have to do it. And then like, you know, when I'll be talking to them, I'll be like, well, you, you need to like, reduce your re- reduce your work hours, you need to go to sleep a little bit more. And they're like, well, then I can't live in this house that I have.
1: Yeah, how am I gonna pay my mortgage? Yeah, yeah it's, it's really sad. Because I think um, the one thing that I talk about in my book is the uncontrollables, like people aren't acknowledging well some people aren't acknowledging like the uncontrollable stressors that they had that they have because it's so painful because there's no solutions you know if there's solutions people would take those solutions but i think the society that we live in really um really paints the picture of poor sleep Um, other countries in my opinion don't struggle as much as we do so yeah
0: there's definitely more of a pressure in in this Mm -hmm. culture to do that so yeah coming to sleep a bit a bit more um one of the big things is we hear is sleep hygiene and there I, I wrote in our notes. Oh, right. Cause like everyone, cause <laughs> everyone, everyone, again, like we, we know this stuff and we hate it. And people are like, I know the sleep hygiene stuff. I do the mm-hmm. sleep hygiene things. Talk about that. Like a little bit in regards to like, what does sleep hygiene mean? And then like, why is there such a pushback to it? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleep hygiene is basically, um, Nutshell version is mm-hmm. reducing screen time, not taking naps, um, waking up at the same time every day, um, reducing stressors, like all like the basics that you could do for your sleep. And I think there is pushback because it's just kind of like you put a bandaid on something and hope it heals, you know, sort of thing. It's It doesn't really fix the underlying origin of the issues, which is what we've been talking about. And I think sleep hygiene could be super helpful and useful if you're looking to make some small changes to your sleep mm-hmm. schedule and stuff. Um, but in my opinion, not everybody has these opportunities to wake up at the same time every day. not everybody has the opportunity to reduce their stress. I mean, we're dealing with so much. so I think sleep hygiene is kind of sometimes laughable for people, although it's super useful and helpful if you're able yeah. to implement these things but not everybody can
0: yeah and screen time technology time talk about that a little bit because we we end up like in these situations where we're, we're doom scrolling on Twitter and mm-hmm. the never ending, you know, Instagram that we see the jokes and the memes all the time of like, oh, let me just check my post. And then it's 7am, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, when we think about the rigidity of CBTI or the rigidity of any manualized treatment program, it's always mm-hmm. like, hey, avoid these things and do these things. Right. Um, but when you think about it, screen time, of course, will keep us up because what happens, In our brain, our suprachiasmatic nucleus is in our hypothalamus, and that regulates our sleep-wake cycle, and it's regulated by exposure to light and consistency. So if you wake up bright and early in the morning and you expose yourself to light, melatonin secretion stops, and your brain is like, okay, we're good. you know. And then at night, you reduce the light, and your brain gets the hint. Because think about hunter-gatherer days, if we're looking at that theory, the rise and fall of the sun, that's kind of when we went to bed and when we woke up. So... When I tell people, you know, hey, reduce your screen time in bed, they're like, but what am I gonna do? That's really the problem is, hey, what am I gonna fill this time with? I have to be alone with my thoughts. <laughs> what yeah. does that mean for yeah. me? Um, so I do tend to take a flexible approach of, if you are on your phone in bed, of course, ideally, try not to, and um, create a burner account on Twitter where it's only happy things, you are not like, aimlessly scrolling on the For You page or Explore page, you're very, very specific about your content from just a harm reduction approach. And people tend to take to that well. And I always say like, you're still on screen, you know, so you might not fall asleep the way that you want to as we kind of navigate your thoughts and stuff like that. So I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing, but it's how you're using it. Like you said, with the doom scrolling, it's probably not helpful.
0: Yeah, because Twitter's a whole, right? (laughs) 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 <laughs> it can become this hellhole where you, you get in there and you get like agitated and worked up and oh, yeah. get into the arguments and posting and all this other stuff. So yeah, And it's,
1: I think sometimes it's non-consensual and I think it's really important for people to know that like if you're on just any explore page or just like a home page, you're scrolling and maybe you're following these people and maybe you're not. And mm-hmm. you didn't expect to see like this mass shooting at midnight as you're in bed, you know? So yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I think like with the algorithm being all this stuff of like, oh, you may be interested in this mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, I'm not, I don't want to. Like just because you, somebody who you know kind of agitates you right there. Yeah, I right. think like I've been a, a little bit caustic online a little bit and making some enemies here and there. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's it's something like the stuff will show up, right? And you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, now I have to have to deal with this at like 12 yeah. and the, at midnight. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? And it's like, it's hard to just sleep on it, right? It's hard to just leave it, it let it go.
1: Yeah, because there's no solution. I mean, you're watching something or seeing something or reading something and then you're scrolling and then your brain is still thinking things, you know? It's not like mm-hmm. it just goes away.
0: Yeah, yeah. And naps. Um, a naps is one of those tricky kind of things, right? Because they can yeah. be good when they're done correctly mm-hmm. and then they could be terrible when they're not done correctly, right? So what yeah. what is an ideal nap and what is a... What is not a nap?
1: Yeah. Depends on your sleep goals. If you want Mm -hmm. consolidated sleep at night, we always suggest reducing naps to, um, I call them safety naps. So 30 minutes or less if you are driving or you're caring for your child or something like that, and you really need some restoration. um, We usually try to cap it at 30 minutes so that you don't go into a full sleep cycle and confuse your brain and body. Um, If, again, you have the opportunity and you want that consolidated sleep at night, meaning like the full like seven to nine hours if you're an adult. Um, for those, for some people, they might not be able to do that. So they might have two separate sections of sleep where they're napping a little longer throughout the day and then they're sleeping less at night, but it's all about your expectations. So Mm -hmm. if you're napping throughout the day and then you're really frustrated with yourself that it's 10 PM, you can't fall asleep. Well, your sleep drive's not that high. So you might have to adjust your expectations.
0: Yeah. yeah, I like the 20, 30 minute Nap kind of deal. Um, I was like making sure there's just no Google's or Alexa's here. But I would say like Alexa, wake me up in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. (laughs) Um, And it, you know, and I always kind of tell people when they sleep, when they do the nap, it's like nap in a place that's not your bed, right? So like either a couch or sleep like in a different position. Like usually, Mm -hmm. so it's that's part of it, right? So like I I know that I'm like a side sleeper. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I'm gonna take a nap, I'm gonna be like I'll lay on my back. Exactly. Right. Just so I know that's a little bit different. I'll be like on the couch versus like my bed and again let Alexa know to wake me up in twenty twenty five minutes or something like that. That's
1: perfect. Yeah, because there's this cognitive yeah. pairing that happens with our bed too. Like we pair, yeah. hopefully in, in a perfect world, you pair your bed with sleepiness instead of like anxiety and stress and wakefulness. And yeah. um sometimes if you're in your bed then your body's gonna be like, Oh, well, we're done. Well, here here we day. go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. What are some myths, I know, sleep myths that are out there that maybe need to be explored or busted? some of your one, favorite ones?
1: One of my favorite ones, I mean, there's the obvious ones, like eight hours. Yeah. It's not eight hours, it's a range, and it yeah. depends on your age, medical conditions, um, sex assigned at birth, all those things. Um, but the one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. Some people think like, hey, I'll have a drink or two and it'll help me fall asleep. Your body is just processing a toxin you know um and you're not really sleeping as well as you think that you are um same goes for uh diphenhydramine which is equal or Benadryl if you take mm-hmm. that at night um sometimes people say oh it's the best night of sleep ever which you might wake up feeling rested but again th- with the restorative sleep that you were talking about before your body might not always get into those deep stages of sleep and do the things mm-hmm. it needs to do um and then the last one is the whole like I could catch up on sleep you know um cuz if you think about it just say you're sleeping Monday through Friday you're sleeping I don't know, seven hours instead of the normal eight. I'm just throwing this out. Yeah. Um, you have one hour of sleep debt per day, so that's five hours. And then you might want to catch up on Saturday. I mean, eight plus five. I mean, are you really gonna be able to sleep all that time? And no. is it really gonna be helpful and effective, you know?
0: Yeah. Talk about I mean, like so it was interesting. Um, I do a lot of work with alcohol and substances as well. And I think, you know, and again, if you're comfortable or wanna say like I think you were I think I was seeing that you were you had kind of given up alcohol or reduced your own personal alcohol a little Mm bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Talk about that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically in college, um, I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to drink just like everybody else. I just never, I was very unintentional with alcohol use. Um, never had any major issues, but I just was like, why am I doing this? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not really helping me. So I do tend to take like a sober curious lifestyle. So, Um, If I am going to go out with friends and have a drink, it's only during happy hour or lunch because I don't want it to impact my sleep. Um, I'm usually like a one or two glasses of wine sort of person and put it down. Whereas in the past, I just didn't know that it was going to impact my sleep and my health and my well-being because I was just so tired for so many years. So when I decided um, to reduce my alcohol intake, I felt kind of weird because I'm like, I could easily go without this. Like I don't have like an active addiction. And at the same time, I'm still drinking it every now and then. Like, what's that about? Um, So the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized it was really a societal habit that was Mm -hmm. kind of like, you see commercials all the time for like wine and you know all these different um, alcohols. And I was just thinking about all the research and how there's really no health benefits to alcohol. And I'm like, I'm putting like a toxin in my body. Like, what am I doing? And it really does impact sleep. You wake up more, temperature regulations off, your body's processing a toxin and not really doing what it has to do overnight. So I really started to think about how it impacted my sleep. And I feel so much better. I feel so much
0: better. One of, again, like a lot of, one of the other hats I work is with like addiction stuff and alcohol. I love working with alcohol. Um, I think, you know, we don't, kind of like you're saying is we've normalized it in our Mm -hmm. culture. It's ingrained in in the culture over here is that like alcohol is a part of life, right? Happy hours and et cetera, all that stuff is like just the American culture Mm -hmm. and you know, we, we get the headlines come from like um, the opioid crisis and yes. Adderall shortages and Xanaxes and blah, 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 and fentanyl, right? But when you stack up the actual numbers, right, mm-hmm. um, and you combine them and everything is like, you combine all the non-alcohol substances and then you compare them to alcohol. Alcohol still is far and away the greatest negative impact on health to, compared to anything else. Wow! Like I didn't it, that. Yeah, it is. It's like not even a comparison almost, you know, so like when I, when yeah. I put like the bar graphs, Like so you know, there'll be times I'll make a bar graph and like <laughs> yeah. the alcohol is like, you know, this, it takes up the entire graph, the entire Y yeah. axis. And then everything else is like here. Yeah. It is. Wow. We are yeah. so
1: conditioned to just, and we could go on and on about this. Yeah. But I do think advertising and all that has something mm-hmm. to do with it, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely yeah absolutely i mean we saw what happened to cigarettes right when we started to crack down on that that stuff went away and then of course you know it turned into vaping but now it's Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other thing but yeah no alcohol has this huge impact we know that had the impact that it has on sleep um because again it it can help you get to sleep Mm -hmm. but you're but you're waking up in the middle of the night because you're peeing or Mm -hmm. you're again you're body's processing it. Um, and then it's just disrupts sleep. Again, you're, you're not getting the quality sleep. And a lot of my patients who struggle with alcohol stuff, it's from sleep issues, right?
1: It is. Yeah. And I mean, if we just think about temperature regulation mm-hmm. and think about if you have like, imagine yourself having like a drink or a couple of drinks and how you might get flushed, your body's yeah. just processing it, you know, and overnight you normally people drop, I think it's like I'm trying to think about the clinical research. I think it's like mm-hmm. one or two degrees overnight. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah. I'll get back to you on that. Um, so with alcohol, it's just harder to regulate that, and you might not sleep that well.
0: Yeah, yeah. you don't. All right, it's just it's just what happens. So, yeah. all right. Um, any other kind of like myths or things that in in the sleep world that you that are, are pet peeves, I guess, that are out there um. for you
1: melatonin
0: <laughs> ah yeah let's talk about melatonin
1: <laughs> um oh my goodness uh i could go on and on but um basically i it's not fda regulated we don't yeah. really know 100 percent what's in it the amount all that stuff and You know, um, when we think about FDA regulation, it could be really helpful. So we know exactly what's in it, you know, and when we think about melatonin, we create it in our bodies naturally. So whenever we take a pill, it's exogenous Mm -hmm. melatonin and our body sees it as real melatonin, but then that wears off and then we wake up and we have all these issues. People have crazy dreams and it's really, um, there's not much publicity about the fact that it could really, um, could have really poor interactions. You don't worry about this um, for people with SSRIs because sometimes it's cut with serotonin. Um, so serotonin syndrome is always on my mind. Um, it's just not super helpful all the time, but I do hear stories about people who say, yeah, I take this amount of melatonin and I'm good. And Hey, if it works, it works. You know, Um, I'm kind of hands off with it, but if people are kind of focused on it and they're not getting the results, there's reasons why. Um,
0: yeah. And I think that's a really important thing like you brought up about like the fta regulation and how inconsistent it is mm-hmm. because there is none right there is yeah. the, all the supplements it's it's the wild wild west of mm-hmm. supplements out there there is no kind of consistency at all between the brands so like yeah. five milligrams with one brand is not five milligrams with another brand like at all so um true. so when people start you know like have people who come to me they're like i'm only 20 milligrams of melatonin it's not working for me and i'm like Oh my God. First of all, I was like, first of all, what the hell are oh you God. doing? Yeah. yeah. I was like, the hell are you doing right now? Yeah. Um, but I was like, you should have known at like 10 that like this isn't working.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, but
0: people don't know that, right? People don't have they that don't. guidance, right? They and there's know. no kind of education out there that like 20 milligrams of melatonin is way more than you should be at.
1: Yeah. And when I think about the behavioral changes that people make, um, and even medications, you know, prescription yeah. medications that people could take for sleep, it really helps you get more in touch with your sleep cues. And if you're waking up just a perfect world situation, yeah. you're waking up at the same time every day, you'll have melatonin secretion hopefully around that same time every day too if you're consistent. So you might not need it. But if mm-hmm. you know, you're know you browsing the aisles on a grocery store and you see melatonin for sleep, who wouldn't yeah. pick it up if they're having sleep issues? I get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on dreams are you a, are you a dream oh. believer i think if i remember correctly and you can correct me I like i've seen like your tattoos or your arms and i think they mm-hmm. i think they're dream creatures on there am i right or wrong
1: no it's okay. it's yeah it's mostly like flowers and other okay. things okay. um yeah wrong. mostly okay. just for fun uh, people okay. are like what does it mean i'm like all tattoos have meaning anyways um but um i'm not a dream expert uh one of my friends is but when i think about the concept of dreams um and this isn't validated by research but it's just my thought just for fun um is i think that we dream as we're processing information throughout the day and people might be like well why was my dream like i was a shark somewhere like what does that mean and it it might have underlying meanings you might not turn into a shark obviously but mm-hmm. it might mean like you're in murky water and like you feel like you're attacked or whatever i'm making this yeah. up but yeah. I think dreams can inform us about what's going on in our inner psyche. And I think it's helpful. Um, it could also be terrifying <laughs> and yeah. scary to think about our dreams.
0: Especially when we deal with like trauma stuff, right? Oh and my then, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Then we we go switch from the dream world to the nightmare world, which mm-hmm. is not ideal. So.
1: Yeah. And a couple of my colleagues work with um, nightmare disorders. I don't. Mm-hmm. But what they tell me is that the more that they process in therapy, the less that these nightmares have an impact on them. And I guess when we think about trauma treatment, it's pretty similar. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's the manifestation, right? So yep. panic attacks and functional neurological disorders, all that stuff is, again, like our body, our psyche kind of telling us something's wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the nightmares is, again, another avenue of like our body or mind telling us something's something's going on.
1: I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, I mean, we don't really know much about the utility of dreams or why they mm-hmm. happen still. I mean, we're still yeah. researching. Um, and the Stanford University... Um, I, I'm gonna, I don't even remember the name of it, but yeah, it was like okay. the first sleep clinic. Um, and they're still really trying to figure out what dreams mean and why we have them and what happens and all of that. And I just think it's really cool to think about, um, really cool to think about different dreams and maybe the meanings. And um, I'd always encourage people to keep a dream journal yeah. and just look back on it and just kind of see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things, right? Like, I think we get asked this question from people, right? Either our clients, patients, or Mm -hmm. like even lay people, like I had this dream. What does it mean? And like, people think that we like, you know, spend all of our training, you know, analyzing (laughs) dreams, like Freud back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, from a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic perspective, I could understand that, you know, and there's the interpretation of dreams from Freud and all that. And, you know, it depends on what you believe in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's always like a, a fun jump into like fancy to kind of like, maybe, yeah. maybe it means something, maybe it means yeah, this, who knows, who yeah. knows, maybe. <laughs> what yeah. do you think it means? Like, I always kind of turn it back and all the, the classic trick of like turning it back on our patients, right? I so, love it. I love it. You had mentioned like um sleep medicine. So like, yeah, other other thoughts on like sleep medicine kind of like as a field and then just like as like the actual pills that are there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely pro sleep medicine. I think mm-hmm. it again, depends on the client's goals. Some clients are like, I just Want to go to sleep at night? Just give me whatever you know. Mm-hmm. I just want to go to sleep. Other people want the med and they want to make behavioral changes. And some people just don't want meds, so it yeah. just depends. In the psychology world, um, when we just think about insomnia, CBTI is the first line treatment for chronic insomnia, above medications. So, yeah. um, if people are experiencing insomnia for a really long period of time, of course, medication will help you feel better, but it might not fix the underlying problem. Um, if you have acute insomnia, like jet lag or um, I moved into a new house and I can't sleep tonight. Over-the-counter medications or even sleep medications are usually clinically indicated. So whenever I talk with clients, I always say, it doesn't really matter about my opinion, but what do you want for your life? You know, do you want to be on a medication forever or do you want to make behavioral changes? Either works for me. Um, And if they want the medication, I'll usually refer out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you were saying before, like the VA, VA is huge on CBTI. Yes. Um, they have like their own app and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they don't want to be giving out medicines all the time. So.
1: Yeah. They, um, when I was working for the VA, I did my internship postdoc and I was a staff psychologist there for a bit. And, yeah. um, for the veterans that didn't want to go through the CBTI program, they would normally prescribed trazodone. Um, and that was their drug out there, at least yeah. at the VA that I worked at. Um, and some yeah. people found it to be helpful and other people didn't. So just depends. Yeah.
0: It's hit or miss. Like, I mean, like any other, other medicine. So. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot away from sleep and then let's talk about content creation. I know one of the things that we love more than anything else is live, laugh, love mentality.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I saw that. I it in the notes and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I was like, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about live, laugh, love. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, whenever I think about live, laugh, love, I just think of toxic positivity and I'm like, yeah. it just doesn't help anybody. Um
0: it is, it's, it's like obnoxious almost. Right. Um, because right. we see, you see the people out there and people are like, Oh, just, you know, choose love, 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 and then you'll be all good. And just yeah. decide to do this. And then the signs and all that other stuff. And it's like out of control.
1: It is, it is. Cause I think it undermines people's struggle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it could work for some people, you know, and I notice, I tend to notice that you know, just only focusing on the positive and all of that really works for people who have inherent privilege, uh, cause they don't have to worry about other things. But yeah. if you're thinking about just the daily struggle of most humans, most Americans, um, especially people of color, especially, um, people from diverse backgrounds, I mean, it's really hard to live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's hard to expect people to do that too.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like not to be racist a little bit, but it's like, it's the rich white Suburban housewife kind of trope, right? Of live, 100%. laugh, love.
1: Hundred uh, percent. Not racist at all. It's very accurate. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah.
0: 100%. yeah. <sighs> I was trying to like before before this like getting a sign so I could burn it, but I, I was <laughs> unable to <laughs> just for this occasion to find a to find you a know- sign and burn it.
1: You know, what's so funny is um, I went, I went to um, one of my colleagues' homes recently and uh, really new, really new um, yeah. acquaintance and stuff. And they invited me to their friend's house. So we went and the first thing I see when I walk in is live off love. And my <laughs> colleague looked at me and I looked at them and I was like, are they cool? And they're like, promise they're cool. I was like, okay, that sign has got to go. But yeah, it was just funny. Um, Cause it's, I don't think people realize the underlying meanings of it. I just, I tend to laugh about it.
0: Yeah. It's, it is kind of like this judge of character almost, right? Cause yeah. you can tell right from the from, you know, with the vibes. We can tell the vibes from the yeah. person, right?
1: Yeah. And am I going to feel safe with this person?
0: I think you're just going to tell me to be like, don't worry about everything. Yeah. It's, you know,
1: it's almost like you're really worked up and somebody just tells you to relax and you're like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that. Just know? calm down. Yeah. Just chill. <laughs> just,
0: you know, don't worry about it. it will be okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And then like your own kind of like content creation in regards to like the memes and stuff, like mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. The memes, the quotes, you know. Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting. I think my journey on social media has changed quite a bit. I started Mm -hmm. in the sleep space um, and I started with like heavy psychoeducation about sleep because that's what people needed during the pandemic. Um, And I I was having so much fun doing it. And then I started to pivot um, because I realized that not everybody is going to want to have deep, dark conversations about their mental health, about sleep. And I noticed that if it's in a meme form or it's in a laughable form, and then there's a little bit more information that people might take it a little differently. Um, So I do tend to post a lot of like sarcastic funny things um, just to get people thinking about their mental health. And if that's the best that it does, then that's great for me. Um, But I do get some feedback about that. Uh, People are like, oh, you're not being serious. You're not a professional, all this stuff. And it's like, well, how else are we going to reach people? You know, Um, it's just going to it's hard.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, kind of when I started doing this stuff too, it was kind of taking it from the humor approach, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. From the comedy kind of aspect and then sneaking in sneaking in the truth bombs in there, right? Yes. Um, and that's kind of how I'm like my reach got bigger and bigger over time a little bit. Um, and mm-hmm. then I've kind of like, I don't know, I've pivoted recently to like more educational stuff, but I'm going to pivot back now that I'm back in my back in my office that I've been kicked out of for the past six months um, oh my so my, my safe space I'm back in my safe space and so now I can get back oh, good, to like good. back to my good stuff to original things but that's it's the truth of it right is that like you know if we just put out purely educational things right it's it's an echo chamber right yeah. it's just the people who want to hear it are gonna be and they're they're gonna like take it and they're gonna be mm-hmm. like okay cool and they'll save it and that's that and then again with the nature of like social media like you want to get drive engagement you want to get yeah. provoke an emotion and, and this little snippet of time that you have <laughs> from them and then hopefully they're able to like share it and do whatever and give their lols and stuff and
1: yeah it's it's so interesting because i think um there's no right way to do social media mm-hmm. in the mental health field unless you're being wildly ethical yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's different um crossing boundaries and crossing lines is totally not okay um mm-hmm. But I do think everybody has something different to offer. I do have a couple of colleagues who are very, very, very pointed and psychoeducational and very serious. And I love their posts and I think it's incredible and it's great. And we share each other's stuff. But I do think there's a place for everybody in terms of, you know, delivery of these things.
0: Yeah. How do you deal like with that aspect of people who are, you know, again like coming after you a little bit, being mm-hmm. like, Why, why aren't you doing more serious stuff or why mm-hmm. are you being quote unquote unprofessional?
1: Yeah, it's that's been a journey. Um, so I've been on at least TikTok since November of 2020, I think, mm-hmm. October of 2020, and it really used to get to me. Honestly, I, I it would keep me up at night, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong. And then when I really think about it, um, when you get comments from your colleagues and stuff like that, that's different. Most of the comments don't come from my colleagues; they come from lay yeah. people because um, my colleagues kind of understand like the nature of what we do and all that. Um, but I think about it this way, well-adjusted people don't make fun of strangers on the internet. So (laughs) I try to keep that in mind whenever I receive comments. Um, I have, I average about like five to 10 hate comments a day now. So it's, it's really, and I'm sure you've experienced something very similar, but I have to realize that people are probably doing their best. And if this is a way for them to express themselves, great. I'm just not going to internalize it.
0: Um, yeah, it comes to the point almost where like I, you know, I, you put, I put something out there and then I. Don't look at the comments right because yeah. it, be- it would become bad right it becomes very assuming. toxic yeah and you know that like if once you start responding or getting back in there like it's just gonna make things worse it doesn't make it better
1: no not at all yeah not at all it's and i think if you're receiving feedback on a post from like mm-hmm. multiple people maybe it doesn't land the right way and yeah. your intention was one way and impact is another i always think that's something to consider too which is great but if we're just thinking about like User 698, whatever, with yeah. no profile picture who's calling you unprofessional. It's like, I can't take that seriously. It you doesn't know? matter. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Talk to us a little bit about, too. And though you just wrote a book, mm-hmm. tell us, here's your, here's your chance to shill your book a little uh, bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us about your book and like what that process was like and everything.
1: Yeah. So I wrote a book about insomnia. Uh, yeah. It's called Insomnia Doc's Guide to Restful Sleep. Yeah. And
0: Link in bio. Is, we'll put the link in the description. Yeah. Can, so, yeah. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate stuff. that. We got, you. we got you.
1: I appreciate you asking too. Um, yeah. So basically there's so many sleep books out there and I've read so many of them and they're all great. Mm-hmm. I think the approach that I took was one of humor. Uh, I talk a lot about marginalized cultures and, and how they experience sleep and how it's different from white individuals and white experiences um, because I tend to think that the premise of all the research about sleep and just research in general is oh, an overwhelming majority of it is about white people. So. Yeah. Um, being a white provider in this space, I feel like it's almost like my ethical duty to like really look at the research and really um, capture the broad scope of things um, and deliver it in a way that people might be able to hear and want to hear. Um, mm-hmm. And basically with the book, I focus a lot on really, 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 really small habits that you can implement. To help your sleep, it's not a fix all. It's not therapy, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that I talk about a lot is stress um, and how to manage stress and how that impacts sleep. But it was a really fun book to write. Uh, my yeah. editors let me wrote write a bunch of stuff. I curse in there. It's like super <laughs> fun, um, and it's also on an audiobook too.
0: Yeah, what was that? I mean, so it's it's a process, right? To like, did you ever think like you're going to write a book? First um, of all. Absolutely.
1: I didn't even think I was going to graduate high school. Yeah. yeah I didn't think yeah. any of this was possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know, like, I think I pulled it up and I was like, it's like 250 pages, right? So how the hell do you get to yeah. like writing something like this?
1: right? What's like the a process? Dis- yeah. It's basically a dissertation. So, um, Mango Publishing reached out to me and they said, Hey, do you want to write a book? And I said, yeah, why not? I like, didn't even think about it. Um, <laughs> like probably not the sure. best. Yeah. Um, but we went back and forth negotiated and then they were like, what's your timeline? And I was like, I don't know, six months. And they were like so excited, and I didn't yeah. know why. <laughs> I should have taken a year. should have taken a year yeah. or two, but I've been thinking about all this for so long that it's like I've already done the research and all that stuff. so it was it was an easier process. Um but it was basically like a massive lit review. Um, so just taking a bunch of research, making sure it checked out. And the process that I had was I, I would wake up at five or six in the morning. I would write for two hours and then see my clients. And I would just cap it at that because that's how I got through my dissertation. Um, and then each chapter, you send them, and then they rip it apart, <laughs> and then yeah. you put all the feedback in, which is great. I need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all do. And and yeah. And then it, it ended up becoming what it was. And and it's really nice working with a publishing company because they chose the cover the title, like certain things and certain aspects of it that I would have never thought to put in the book. So it was really nice to collaborate.
0: Cool. Yeah. It's it's a process, right? It's not just something you can like be like, oh, let me just write a book and there Right.
1: Go. Yeah. It's way more in depth than I thought it was. I don't know if yeah. I'll do it again. Um, <laughs> it was really fun, but yeah, it yeah. definitely took a lot out of me.
0: Cool. Well, congrats on that. We'll definitely um put all that out there for people to get and know I'll I I'll, I'll have to order it too. So gotta Thank support you. my support the peeps. <laughs> Thank you. Um wrapping up a little bit. So and I always ask people two questions when we're finishing up. Um what is your form of self-care? The buzzword self-care.
1: Yeah. I was going to say something different because I was mm-hmm. thinking about this and if I'm really being honest with you, it's not overworking myself. Yeah. Like it sounds so weird, but like not taking on any more clients, not hustling, I'm just done. Like I just can't yeah. do it. Um taking Fridays off. Like I yeah. just don't care. Um, I, it used to be like putting up boundaries, saying no and all that stuff. But I really think if I'm, if I'm being honest, it's, there's such a drive that I have. I'm a Capricorn. So all I want to <laughs> do is work and just yeah. produce and do all these things. And I don't have kids, so I have the time, but yeah. it doesn't mean that I should be using my time that way. Cause I just get burnt out.
0: Yeah. I think it's really nice when people, you know, just say it straight up, like just working less that yeah. is my self care.
1: Totally.
0: Yeah. And I, and it's one of those, like that the hustle right now for me is like work a little bit harder now so I can work less later. But it's like, when does, when does that come? Right? Yep. Never. Uh <laughs> one day it'll Seriously. come. And the last one is what is your favorite sneaker? Cause we are to talk about sneakers too. I love
1: it. So I have yeah. these mint, uh, mid top Nikes. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved into a new house and I nice. really I've been find, I've been trying to find them all week because I knew yeah. we were gonna do this podcast and I don't yeah. have them with me. Um, ah. But I'll send you a picture of them. I am upset. <laughs> I, I just love them so much. I'm obsessed with mid top Nikes. Those are just my thing.
0: Nice. All right, awesome. Well, congrats on the house and this in this economy. It's I'm,
1: crazy. Yeah. We we put in like so many offers f- like for months. It was yeah. it was wild. And my husband's a real estate broker. I'm like, how do oh, no, you this yeah. is crazy? Yeah, it's just insane.
0: My my I have two i have a brother-in-law and sister-in-law so mm-hmm. my wife's like brother and sister who are both in real estate mm-hmm. and we've been like searching for like five years so yeah. and i was like wow you guys are useless all of you <laughs> <laughs> right. i was like i love you guys but you're like not <laughs> oh, what helping are you doing? what yeah. are you doing here why yeah. am i still why am i still renting here and all yeah. this stuff like and they do so to... much
1: work and they don't get paid until the house closes right it's like yeah. So crazy yeah i
0: was like what are you guys doing you're not helping us out here um but any any kind of other like take homes or anything else that anybody who's listening would like to uh yeah any kind of stuff
1: yeah um well first of all i just want to thank you for being in this space you know um, i know you and i connected on twitter but i've always felt you to be like a very safe person i really love your content um i really think that you're doing great work and i really appreciate your podcast too i binged a couple of episodes so thank you for the opportunity and also thanks for being here um and then for people in the sleep world if you're looking to get better sleep and you don't want to really spend any money, really just taking inventory of the things that stress you out. And if Mm -hmm. you don't have solutions, just creating time in your day to allow yourself to process those things. Um, Of course, therapy is ideal, not everybody has access, but if you just take a little bit of time to be intentional about your thoughts, it might help.
0: Yeah, and how can people who want to follow along with you connect with you and follow along?
1: Yeah, so I'm on um, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Dr. Kristen Casey.
0: Perfect we'll drop all those in there too. So Dr. Casey, it was a pleasure, pleasure. Um, I'd love to chat and with some more, but we will get on with all that stuff. So thank you for being here.
1: Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me.